So I'm going to say a prayer for this time, and then I'm going to invite Mike Weaver, our lay leader, to come up and share with you about some of the specifics about where we are as a community. And then I'm going to come back and share with you about the opportunities that we have leading forward. So let's pray together. God of all grace, we thank you for the gift of this church called Fieldstone. We thank you for the kingdom, the outpost of your kingdom that you've set here in the New River Valley for over 16 years now. We thank you for the ways that your light has shown and will continue to shine through this place. For the reminders that we are here to love God and love people. For the reminders that we always have more when we share. We pray in this time, God, that as we reflect on where we are, our needs and our opportunities, God, that you might be speaking to us. That as we prepare to reflect on your word in our lives, that God, you might be speaking to us. That as we sit, as we gather, and as we share, that God, you might be speaking to us. Allow us to listen to you in this time and allow us to continue to be your people. To be a people of hope, to be a people of light. And to be a people defined by your love. We love you, God. We offer this time to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Mike, would you come and share with us? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, My name is Mike Weaver, and I'm the chair of the leadership team. And I've been doing this, I think this is a year and a half I've been doing it. I've been on the leadership team for, I think, two and a half years, uh, just before Bryson made a transition and we received Jonathan as our new pastor. Um, I've lived here since 2011, and, um, and I uh, worked for the federal government uh, with NOAA in a uniform service up until 2010 and <clears throat> received an opportunity to come here and work at Virginia Tech. I graduated in 88, so to come back and work at my alma mater is a real privilege. Um, and when I took the job at Virginia Tech, I knew about Fieldstone Church, and I knew before I moved here, and even before I accepted my job, that if I came to Virginia Tech to work, that I was going to come to Fieldstone as, as my church, uh, or at least that I was going to come here for quite some time before I made that decision. The reason is, is because when I lived in Northern Virginia in the uh, early 2000s, I heard about Fieldstone Church. Uh, I knew a church that came down to do spy Um, And I came down for a few worship services. I happened to be passing through this area several years before I even thought I was ever going to live in Blacksburg and came to church here in this this building. And so uh, I was just very excited about what was going on here. God is really up to something here. And so when I moved to to Blacksburg, um, this was the first place I, I came to and I never left. And I love being here. I love the variety of ministry and the creativity that we have as a church. So I'm very excited to be here. Um, We as a leadership team over the past six months or so have been um, kind of working through some challenges financially and I want to share those with you this morning. So um, what we, do you have the clicker? So if you look on the graph, what you'll see is our weekly giving numbers since uh, 2013 actually and you can see the first click is 2014 Um, and we always have cyclical giving, that's just pretty typical of churches. But what you'll see is the red line represents what has been over the past four, three years or so, a, a very slow but steady decline in giving. Um, and so that's important, a kind of important context for where we are. Um, because where we have come to the place of is because our expenses don't go down. Our expenses may actually go up or at least or level off. Um, salaries and expenses for the building, uh, th- things like that 
typically are level off. And so because of the steady decline in giving, we have come to the place where every time we, we couldn't quite make the budget, we'd have to cut a little bit, cut a little bit. And this year is where we ended up um, this, I guess, a few months ago, realizing that we're at what we would call a zero-sum budget. And a zero-sum budget means that we've cut out everything that we could possibly can uh, outside of bills and salaries and, um, and just things to, to keep the building going and a very small amount of program expenses. So uh, I think we have a breakdown of the, of the program expenses. So the year-to-date, oh, let's go back to that. The year-to-date income, right now we would expect to have $168,000 in income based on the original budget that we started the year. And so over the course of the last six months, we've been cutting that down to 147000 In other words, at this point in our, in our year, we would expect to have raised 147000 just to meet the bare bones budget. And where we are right now is having just met over uh, just about 90000 of that, 147000 So we'd expect to have received 147000 to meet that bare bones budget, but we're at, at 90000 right now. So we're considerably lower than we really need to be. So um, the next graph, I think you'll probably have to go back, is the bare bones budget. So we, I, I talked to Jonathan about this yesterday. I said I thought it might be important for you all to see where our expenses are just as a bare bones. So uh, personnel expenses is a little over 50%, and that's the pastor and the staff that work. SPY is not included in this budget. Am I right to say that? Yes, yeah, SPY is not included. It's its own budget. Uh, apportionments, 40000 um, Ministries, uh, that'd be uh, ministry expenses here um, that we consider to be bare bones, and then the building expenses, which is about 25% uh, of the budget. Right now, we haven't paid. How much of our apportionments have we paid? Now, let me explain to you what apportionments are if, if you are not uh, haven't um, been in the United Methodist Church. Apportions are expenses that uh, are, are giving that we give to the general church that provides for mission and ministry around the world and in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and those expenses are important. Um, they pay, for instance, for the, for the um, health and um, retirement benefits uh, of the past, health benefits of the pastor, um, and also the expenses of our bishop, uh, the salaries of bishops and district superintendents. So we have paid only the bare minimum. Uh, have we paid anything this year? We haven't, we haven't been able to pay anything of apportionments. Last year, we were able to, to increase our apportionment giving a little bit to move towards what we're supposed to pay, but this year we haven't paid any of that $40,000 because of where we are. So I thought it was important for you to see that. So this year, to date, we have received about 90000 in gifts um, and uh, about $57,000 behind what we really need uh, to meet our bare bones budget. So we're really in a, in a pretty significant situation here that we felt was very important for you to be aware of. So a couple of consequences that might result if we're not able to make some adjustments. Um, first of all, right now, if we uh, end the year, we'll have a, about a $100,000 deficit in our budget. Um, and then, um, unfortunately, if that is the case, we have to look at staff salaries. We, we're not going to be able to, to, to uh, guard that anymore. We're going to have to look at reducing salaries to include the possibility of getting a pastor with less, less salary. Um, we, can, we could get a, a pastor... Uh, we could ask for a pastor um, right out of seminary, and that would reduce some expenses, um, but it probably may be a 15 or 20 percent reduction, but that would be about it. Another option would be for us to receive or to request from the bishop 
a halftime pastor or a pastor that shared with another church. So uh, I, it's a pretty stark reality, but it's really where we are right now. And then, of course, the, the $15,000 in ministry expenses that we have, we're going to have to reduce or not be able to spend the rest of the year. Um, so that's where we are. Now, that's pretty stark and, and dim news, but the, the reality is there's a lot more going on in this church than this, just this. And so I want to show you a couple of things we have uh, over the past couple of years. Even as we've seen decreases in, in, in uh, income, we've seen right this year an increase in weekly worship attendance. Some of this is due to SPY because we had a big SPY year, but it's not all due to SPY. We've, we've seen a, an increase in worship attendance. The next one is we've had an increase in members, new members every year. This is a remarkably good sign for us, okay? So we are receiving new members into the church. There are so many United Methodist churches in the United States and in Virginia that never receive new members. And we should celebrate that and realize that that's a sign that God is at work in the congregation. And then finally, um, we had one adult baptism, uh, which is another sign of real church vitality. It's a wonderful thing that we should celebrate. So in the midst of the challenges that we're facing, we can see that sign, signs that are, are God at work, not only in the numbers, okay, those numbers are important, but also in the people, in the people that are affected by the ministries. And, uh, and all, you know, we, last week we celebrated the impact that SPY has on this community and the impact that SPY has had on people in this congregation. And so it's not just about the numbers, it's also about the people, and I, I hope we can keep that in context. So what does this mean for us? Um, I believe that God is up to, up to some really special things here in the New River Valley and in this place. And I want to see what we can do as a community and as a leadership team to move forward um, to, make, to allow Fieldstone to become sustainable. So I'm going to pass the mic uh, back to, to Jonathan, and we'll continue. Okay. Thank you, Mike. So this is heavy. This is hard, right? This is, this is not like uh, the, the great, awesome, awesome stuff to be able to, to share in, but it's the real stuff of where we are. And so I want to share with you a story from Scripture, and it's about a guy named uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah's story is outlined in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pull it out. We're, gonna, we're actually going to reference a couple of different parts of the, of the book of Nehemiah this morning. Because in, throughout Scripture, there are people and there are figures who face hard times. But in the midst of the hardest of challenges that people face throughout the stories of Scripture, and in the midst of the hardest of challenges that people face in our world today and in our lives, I'm a believer, and I believe our leadership team believes, and we as a church believe that God is up to something, even in places that are challenging and tough. And so we're going to share in the story of Nehemiah. And I want to tell you that I believe that God is calling us as the people of Fieldstone to be a Nehemiah people, to be a Nehemiah people. I want to tell you about what that means. The story of Nehemiah is a story about a, a, a group of people who have seen their city be destroyed, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, all the walls have been torn down and the city is in ruins. And so Nehemiah is a leader in that city, and he receives a call from God. And God is calling Nehemiah to help rebuild the walls of the city. Now, here's the thing. The, the city of Jerusalem, we don't have a picture of it right here, but, but the city of Jerusalem was not small. Uh, it, was, it was a big city. It's many miles by many miles wide. To rebuild the walls would take a ton of people, it would take a ton of resources, and it would take a ton of commitment to do. And it's all done in the face of something interesting. Nehemiah didn't have political support to do this. 
He didn't have the support of the king. He didn't have the support of the rulers of the land. It was God who called him to do this work. And it was God who was going to provide for him in the midst of this work. And so if you open up your Bibles to to Nehemiah chapter 1, it's in the Old Testament. It's between Ezra and Esther. It's like there in the Bible. I don't know if you guys can eyeball that. Uh, (laughs) I want to share with you just a couple of things about what Nehemiah people do. Because I believe this is what God is calling us to do. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse, verses 4 through 11, Nehemiah says a prayer, and, and it starts this way. I'm not going to read the whole thing for us, but Nehemiah says, When I heard this news, the news about the trouble of Jerusalem, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's what I want you to know about this. The way that Nehemiah's journey starts is upon hearing news, upon hearing challenge, he does this. He trusts in God first. If we're going to be a Nehemiah people, as a community and as a, as a congregation, as a community, if we're going to be a Nehemiah people, we have to, upon hearing the news of the challenges that we face, the first thing that we are called to do is to trust in God. Now, maybe for some of us, that means that we're going to be like Nehemiah and we're going to mourn. We're going to be sad that, hey, our money stuff isn't great. Maybe it means that we're going to fast and we're going to pray before God. But Nehemiah's prayer that follows is a prayer that shows abundant trust and abundant humility before God. It says, God, I know that you know what you're doing. And I'm willing to go wherever it is you call me to go and to do whatever it is you call me to do. To be a Nehemiah people, first and foremost, means to trust in God. At the second chapter, Nehemiah is very open uh, with, with the king and with the ruler and with himself. They see what the task is before them. And they're very honest about that. They're honest about the task that is at hand. For us as a community and as a church, it's important for us to hear what Mike just shared with us. To hear about the joys that we have about being Fieldstone, the ways that God's already at work in our community and in our lives. But we have to be very honest about some of the challenges that we face. We have to be present within that and to to be able to reflect openly and transparently about where that is. It's very hard if if we try to sugarcoat or if we try to pretend, well, that isn't that big of a deal. It's sometimes very hard to make progress and to take meaningful steps. We trust in God. We're honest about where we are. And then this beautiful thing happens in the third chapter. The third chapter of Nehemiah is 31 verses long. And it looks like a genealogy. Does anybody know what a genealogy is? Maybe you've been on Ancestry.com before, right? So you you see like your generation and the generation before you and the generation before you. Nehemiah chapter 3 reads like this. Because it sounds like, I'll I'll read you, for example, uh, this this little section. Joiada... Paseah's son and Meshulam, Basayoda's son, repaired the Mishnah gate. They laid its beams and set up its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, repairs were made by Mal- Malatiah, the Gibeonite, Jada, and the Maranathite, and the people of Gibeon and Mizpah, who were ruled by the governor of the province beyond the river. And then, time after time, it will say this person and his son and his son's son were working on this other section of the fence, of this other section of the walls that are being built. Here's what I want you to know the third piece about being a Nehemiah people is that people completely commit, completely commit to the mission and vision that's at hand. For Nehemiah and the people that are called to this place, it's not just one or two people that can accomplish this work. 
to build a wall that's going to be miles wide by miles long and over 100 feet tall is not the work of one or two people. It's the work of an entire community coming together, seeing the mission, hearing God's call as Nehemiah is translated, and going to work together. It's not just one generation. It's not just the youngest people. It's the, it's the middle-aged people. It's the older people. It's everybody coming together to share in this work that God has called to, and there is complete commitment complete commitment it's not like well maybe i'll give this part of me or maybe i'll think about this part of life it's fully buying in fully sharing in the opportunity that god's laid out we trust in god we see the task at hand we completely commit and then there's this piece do not fear in nehemiah chapter four the the people are starting to see that that nehemiah and his his community they're successful they're starting to build this wall. It's coming together. And so, so the opposition, the people who said you won't be able to do this, the people who said you aren't going to do this, they start to take some action. They start to, to approach these people with weapons. They threaten war. They threaten fighting. And Nehemiah, if you go in my office, you'll see this on the board. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, Nehemiah says something that has impacted my ministry. It's impacted my ability to see God at work, and I hope it impacts yours. Verse 14 says this. Don't be afraid. Remember that the Lord is great and awesome, and fight with all your might. Don't be afraid. Those people that are out there, the naysayers, the haters, the people that are talking against you and speaking against you, they are not your God. They are not the people who define you. They are not the people who represent you. So don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of what faces you. As a community, here's what this means for us. God does not call us with a spirit of fear. In the midst of what we have before us that challenges us, and in the midst of our hardest of times, we are not called to be a people of fear. We're called to be a people of hope. We're called to be a people who remember the God that we trust in the first place. The God who called a person 16 years ago to start a church is the same God who calls all of us to be here this morning, is the same God who calls us to share God's love and God's light in everything and we do and wherever it is that we go. Remember, don't be afraid. Remember God and fight with all your might. Remember that complete commitment. Always give all of yourself. Be fully invested. Be fully present and fight because this is meaningful. Near the end of the story, it's not the end of the chapter, but near the end of the story of the building of the wall. This thing happens. Let me read this to you. This is Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. It took 52 days. I want you to imagine. This is not like, this wasn't go to Lowe's and buy some bricks and have some mortar and just build up this wall. That's, it's making the materials. It's people committing. And all of a sudden, in 52 days, Not only was this seemingly impossible task completed, it was completed quickly. And then Nehemiah says this, When our enemies heard about this, all of the nations around us had their confidence greatly shaken. 
they knew that this work was completed with the help of our God. Let me say that again. They knew that this work was completed with the help of our God. The last thing and probably the most important thing about being a Nehemiah people is that we are called to leave no doubt that God is real. To leave no doubt that God is real and that God is with us. In front of us is a seemingly insurmountable task. When I look at the numbers that Mike's presented, and I think the idea that in seven and a half months we've raised $90,000, the idea of us to meet our bare bones budget, that would mean that we'd have to raise something like $155,000 in four and a half months to be able to do that. To do that, though, would leave no doubt that God is real. When I look around our community and see the ministries that are there are currently, there are a few people responsible for, when I think about the idea of our entire community be, being invested and involved in things like our prayer team, our youth ministry, children's ministry, our missions, our communications, building up our church, it would prove and leave no doubt that God is real. If we became a church where all of us commit to praying, all of us commit to giving what we can and doing what we can, it would leave no doubt that God is real. And to me, my friends, that is our call. That is what God asks of us. It's five things. To trust, to be honest and see the task, to be all in, not to fear, and to leave no doubt that God is real. And that's the reason, my friends, that I don't look at what we have before us only as a challenge. I look at this as an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us as a community to grow and to develop. It's an opportunity for us to share, and it's an opportunity for us to see our lives and the lives of many others in the New River Valley to change. God has set us in this place to be an outpost of God's kingdom in the New River Valley, and that is amazing news. We have an incredible chance to share, to invite, to pray, and to give, and to be in this place to be present, and to show that God's love knows no boundaries and no ends. Remember, everyone knew this work was completed with the help of our God. If we're a Nehemiah people, that means that I and our leadership team need to make a commitment to you. And here's what that commitment is. Fieldstone is a place for you. It says it on our sign. It's been our motto from day one that Fieldstone is a place for you. Here's what I want you to know, though. There's a reason that we've underlined that word for. Right now, in this time, when we, ha- when we need to be all in and when we need to be a Nehemiah people, it can sound an awful lot like we're just asking for stuff from you, for resources from you, to, to be a people who, have, who are just receiving But this community, the reason that we exist, the reason that God has called us to be in this place and to be in community together is to be there for each other. To be there for each other when we send our kids off to college. To be there for each other when times are great and when times are tough. To be there for each other no matter what. To say that God is with us no matter what. That's my commitment. Is that I'm here for you. What Mike said about our staffing changes and and the possibilities of that taking place, that's super real. 
But I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that my commitment to you and our commitment as a leadership team is as long as I'm blessed to be the pastor of this church, I am here for you. I'm here to serve you and to love you, to sit with you, to laugh with you, to cry with you, to eat with you. I can, I can eat a lot with you, I promise. To, <laughs> to run this race with you. That's why we're here, is to do it together, to do it with you, to do it for you, and to do it alongside you. That's our commitment. But our ask this morning is that we would all be all in. There's a, I know in the Methodist church, we have this big thing about not gambling. So I'm going to use a gambling reference. Uh, there's this game called Texas Hold'em. Maybe you've seen it before. I used to play it when I was in college. So you get these two cards, and you're trying to make the best five-card hand. And based on the cards that you have in your hand, you're asked to make a wager of how much you're willing to bet that you have the best hand. And so you, you play your cards, and you see how it all unfolds. And eventually you either win or you lose, right? Here's my thing. In the kingdom of heaven, I don't think there are winners or losers. I think we all win in God's kingdom. And I think that God has given us a hand. We've been dealt a hand here at this church. For the last 16 years, we've been playing on a hand. And sometimes that hand looks like pocket rockets, right? It looks like a pair of aces that can't lose, other times, maybe it seems like a, a two, se- two sevens, like the worst hand you can get in Texas Hold'em. It seems like there's no hope. What I want to ask you this morning is to think about the hand that your family's been dealt and the hand that we've been dealt as a community. And to see whatever is in your hand as an opportunity to grow. An opportunity not just to push a little bit in, but to push all in to say that it's worth investing my time, it's worth investing my talent, it's worth investing my resources, and it's darn well worth investing my life. Because if you're in this room, I believe that you're here for a reason, and I believe that God has called us together in this community for such a time as this. God calls us to be all in, to push our chips to the center, and to hold nothing back. I'm going to say something. I haven't checked this out with Mike or our lead team. I just want to share this as, as a word that God's laying on my heart right now. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were able to raise enough money in the next four and a half months to meet our budget? Like, that would be, that would be miraculous. It would be incredible. But I don't think it's beyond God, and I don't think it's beyond this church. I don't think it's beyond God or beyond this church to not have ministries that just get by they have ministries that thrive, not to be in a place of survival, but in a place of thriving. And I don't think it's beyond God and it's beyond this community to see the number of people that are in this place, the number of lives that are changed, the number of hearts that are transformed, multiply two, three, four, five, tenfold in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. Because God is up to something in this place. God was up to something when he told the bishop and cabinet to send me here. God was up to something when God called our leaders to come together and be leaders for this church. And God was up to something when God woke you up this morning and said, come to this church this day. So let's be all in as a community. Let's push to the center of the table. Let's be there for each other. And let's darn well be a Nehemiah people. A people who trust. A people who are aware. A people who completely commit a people who aren't afraid, and a people who, above all else, leave no doubt. 
that God is real. Can we say amen together? Amen. I want to invite Mike to come back up. Mike's going to share just a couple of specifics of ways, if you feel like maybe God is calling you to push the chips to the center of the table, to be all in, Mike's going to share just a couple of ways that we can do that specifically this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite us into a fresh time in our service. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, before I do that, I mean, a, a scripture passage came to mind this morning as I was thinking and reflecting and praying about this morning. And that scripture passage is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and this is your proper worship, your proper form of worship. And I thought about that, uh, about the idea of offering my body as a living sacrifice. So worship is not only about money. Right? And it's not about money, actually, but it's part of the worship service, includes the offering. But worship is an offering of our entire selves, and not just in something that we do on Sunday morning and in the way that we live our lives in our workplaces and in, in the schools and such, and also in how we live uh, with other people. And so I thought about what does that mean? What does it mean to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? And, and to me, that means... What Jonathan just said, all in, everything that we are, everything that I have is God, is God's that I offer to God. Um, I've been a part of a couple of different church plants, brand new churches. I was in uh, Washington, in uh, Northern Virginia, where uh, I was a part of Old Bridge United Methodist Church, which was about four years old when I came to the church. We were still worshiping in a middle school. And uh, because we worshipped in a middle school and we didn't have our own facility, everybody would get up at the end of the worship service. Everybody would fold the chairs, put them away, and, the, and, and we would often have a meal afterwards. Um, I think, you know, we still have the spirit of the church plant here at Fieldstone. There's a lot of creativity that happens in this church. We do things that many churches don't do. We do things that many United Methodist churches would never even dream of. Um, but I think in some ways we're also a church plant in the way that we all need to work together to make this place work. We're still a church plant in the sense that we really need to ask everybody to step up and participate in some way. And so the first thing that we ask you today is we've got some tables, and Jonathan will give you some details in a second. We would like to ask each of you to make a commitment to do something to participate in some ministry sometime during the next four months. We're going to have, we have uh, points of contact for each of these ministry areas, um, and we're gonna, uh, we'd like to ask you to, to sign up for, for something, to participate in some ministry team this morning. The second thing is part of, part of uh, sacrificial giving, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, is financial. And it's difficult for us to want to talk about it, but the reality is we have that issue, uh, issue before us. And so we ask you, what might it mean for you to give sacrificially or to take the next step uh, in, in giving sacrificially? And then the last point that I had to make is off my mind. I need to take my notes. Um, the last point um, is... It may feel like to us that this is like, you know, we're, we're swimming in water um, that's over our heads. And if you can remember the Apostle Paul getting out on the water, walking on the water towards the boat of Jesus, where Jesus was completely confident that uh, Jesus was going to take care of him, and he started to slip and fall and sink into the water, and he started to think he was going to drown. And yet, all he had to do is reach out his hand, and Jesus pulled him to the surface. So I say to you, in the midst of us waiting for God to work, and I know that God is going to work, we just need to keep on swimming, because I believe that God is going to be faithful to us, and I hope you believe that too.